going on everybody welcome to another episode of your intention matters thank you very much for freeing up the time my name of course is still paul madot excited for this episode i have gail bean she is a senior director of sales enablement coming to us from PandaDog in the windy city gail how'd i do on the name perfect did, did perfect. i crush it yes my late father-in-law who used to <laughs> say that you pronounce our name by saying it's kind of like being in love he would be very proud of you Yes. Well, I'll tell you something for the audience. You know, I had a bit of a tip. You told me how to say it, but I wasn't sure if I was going to get it because I butchered it right out of the gate when we were talking <laughs> before record. And uh, and so it's nice to meet you. Thanks so much for being here. Say hi to everybody and provide a quick intro. Hi, it's so great to meet your audience. I'm really glad to be with you guys today. I, um, as Paul said, I'm Gail. I've worked in sales and sales leadership and sales enablement and kind of built this really weird career with a lot of forks in the road that we'll talk about, but I'm really excited to be here today. Great. Uh, married, uh, kids, both, none? Uh, two kids. I have a son who's 21 and a 16-year-old daughter and uh, a second husband. So kind of got it all lined up. All right. At this point. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, let's get into it then. So, you know, Gail, as we were talking before we hit record here that, you know, the title of the podcast is Your Intention Matters. And that's really built on you know, the foundation from my chair that nothing is really given to any of us. And most of us in the world of sales and sales leadership and training, never thought we'd even get into sales, let alone sustain a career in it. And I was certainly was in that boat. And I'm looking forward to you sharing your story. So you ready to go? Absolutely. All right. So here we go. Okay. So we're going back in time here. Let's go back to DePaul, bachelor's in design. Well, if that doesn't have a career in sales and enablement written all over it, I don't know what is. <laughs> so design. So, so when were you at the Paul? When did you graduate? And when did you, what did you think you'd be doing, you know, with that type of, you know, a background in, in, your, in your education? Well, I'll go back even further because the funny part of this is that my dad was an old school traveling salesman. I mean, mm. like seriously, like encyclopedia rep- type, like he wrapped women's clothing lines. So oh. he would get a uh, fashion samples from uh, designers and take them to boutiques all over the Midwest. And he was like on the road five days a week and in crappy hotels and eating bad food and telling bad salesperson jokes. And I never wanted to be in sales right? because of that. And my mother was a school teacher who thought I should be a school teacher. And I thought, I don't ever want to be in teaching either because that sounds awful. And so I actually uh, got very interested in theater and theatrical design and have an undergraduate degree from the Goodman School of Drama at DePaul in theatrical set design. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to design sets for plays all over the world, and I'm going to work on Broadway, and I'm going to work in Las Vegas, and it's going to be great. And uh, DePaul uh, was a really tough school. It's a conservatory. And... uh, you know, it's uh, a very competitive program and I got through it and I graduated and I thought, Jesus, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I kind, of, I kind of came out the other side and found I didn't love the business of theater. I love theater. I love being in the audience. I love the art. I love the stories. But the business of theater is is kind of wonky and it's tossed together and it's not terribly professional and it's uh, just a terrible place to try to make a living. Um, and so I had to get a day job. And I had another friend who was a a theatrical set designer who got a job in the trade show industry. 
And we had both worked freelance for a long, long time. And so she called me when she got this job and she said, you got to check out this trade show thing. They pay you every day. I was like, oh my God, are they stupid? She's like, I know. And you get benefits and you know, you get vacation time. And I was like, wow, sign me up. And so I, I really fell into the trade show industry. And, and I started as a producer, which was, it's kind of like being a stage manager, you know, something I had done. Um, and I was managing projects and working directly with clients. And over the course of about three years, um, my book of business that I was managing grew significantly. And the uh, owner of the company came to me and said, you know, you really should be in sales. You're doing, you're doing the job, you're doing mm. sales. And I said, no, and I don't want to be in sales. And so he left and came back a little bit later and he goes, no, you really are selling. You should, you know, really come over here to the dark side. And I was like, eh, I don't, I don't, I don't really see it. But finally he came to me and said, look, here's what you would make in commission if you were in sales doing exactly what you're doing now. And I said, okay, sign me up. Sold. <laughs> so I was very reluctant in going into sales, but it ended up being a great decision. You know, I find it uh, funny when you said at the start that so your dad's background is in, you know, old school sales and, and kind of being away and, you know, that type of thing. So that that kind of factors in. I don't want to be in sales. And then your mom's a teacher and you're like, I don't want to do that. And in the end, you end up getting into sales teaching. So it's just so exactly. funny. To be, that's what happened here. Right. So it, did, it yes. didn't start off that way. But in the end, you're, you're kind of in like the teaching of sales. Yet you didn't want to do either part of it. Yes, it's my both. My parents are both deceased, and they're both laughing at me from the afterlife every day, being like, "See, we told you." You know, Gail, the, the the realization that that the business of theater wasn't really for you. If you go back to that time, was that an overly challenging time for you to come to that realization, or was it just a matter of fact, or were you just pretty content, or did, were you concerned about, well, now what do I do if I realize that I have a I have a passion for the arts? but I don't really love the, the business of the art. Did you remember, was that a scary time for you or was it just, well, something will come up and how did you manage that? It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying, especially because, um, you know, I, I had parents, especially my mother who was like, what are you going to do next? You know, there was, she was more nervous than I, like, how are you going to make a living? I think they were just worried I was going to move home and <laughs> didn't, didn't really want that. They were empty nesters by that point. They were done. Um, no, it was very scary, but I think, one of the things that has been a strength in my career the whole way through is that I've been willing to sit in the discomfort of not being where I think I should be mm. and saying, okay, how do I find the next step? You know, and being willing to say, okay, I'm going to try something and I'm going to try something and, you know, having the faith to know that, you know, I've got the right skills. I've got the right, I've got a great work ethic. I'm going to figure something out. You know, when I started in the trade show industry, I had never been to a trade show. I, I literally not even like the auto show that everybody goes to, like I'd never been. And so, you know, the first day I had to go down uh, down to McCormick Place and sit on a dock and wait for crates to be unloaded. I thought, okay, this is crazy. Right. And I did it for a long time. You know, you grow into it and you find your feet. And I think that experience ironically has made me a, a much better parent because it's allowed me to let my kids find their feet. And you know, my kid, my oldest is studying chemistry and neuroscience and maybe he wants to be a doctor. Maybe he wants to be a researcher or maybe he wants to be a chemist. And it's like, cool, you're going to figure it out. Right. right? And so um, I, I think that's just a gift that I've been able to, to give and to leverage in my career. You know, when you think, when you talk about your career being in, in the sales umbrella, 
do I have this right? You have individual contributor experience. So you've been a direct yep. salesperson. Do you, do you have sales leadership under your, under your umbrella as well with your titles, director of sales? Are you responsible for teams as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And then you also have the, the sales enablement side. And so you've covered the gamut, but they're all, they're very different environments and roles and responsibilities and, and skill sets and so on. So let's start with this. When you, when you actually turn the corner and you realize that I'm actually a salesperson, even though you'd been doing it for a while, now you're aware of it, you're getting paid as a salesperson. How long were you a sales representative for? Um, I was a sales rep for probably about six years. Okay, I so built, six years. Yeah. And I built, um, I built a really robust business almost from scratch. Um, and I was selling trade show exhibits. So a very, very niche market, um, very niche sales, long sales cycle, highly consultative, very expensive. So premium product, premium price. And we were, full, we were all full cycle. There was no such thing as an SDR. I would have, yeah. I would have, I would have given my right arm for an SDR, right. but we didn't have it. You know, we had to do all of it. Um, and so, um, and I didn't, you know, when I went into sales at first, I didn't have a great sales leader. I had to learn. I, you know, I pulled aside the top salesperson and I said, I'm going to sit next to you for like an hour a day and just listen because I had to learn and absorb and and grow into that. Um, and it was, uh, it was terrifying. I actually went into sales three months after nine 11, um, which was terrifying, but it ended up being the best thing ever because no one expected I was going to sell anything the first year. Like there was no expectation. Everybody's business was way off. Yeah. And it was great because it gave me a chance to really plant the seeds to grow a really robust business as things recovered. Um, and I think that that's, as a sales leader, I brought that mentality in of, yes, we want you to hit quota, but I want you to build a really good foundation first. Understand the product, understand the process. Um, we are, we're so conscious in sales leadership of trying to get reps up and running really fast. And the fact that I essentially ramped after, right after 9-11 became a great advantage to me because I was able to really hone, learn and hone skills at a point where, again, there wasn't a big expectation. I was going to do anything magical. And so everything I did was magical. Um, and so I, I try to bring that into leadership. And so I grew as a salesperson. I, I grew a very robust book of business. I actually had a book of business that was about $5 million at a company that had a revenue of about $25 million. Wow. So about a fifth of what happened in the organization happened through the work that I was doing. And I was very conscious of the fact that there were people who had jobs because of what I was doing. And I took that responsibility very seriously. You know, we had a shop, we had some of the best carpenters, like just guys I loved. And I would go out to the shop and they'd say, thanks for selling that project. That kept it, that's gonna keep us working for another six weeks because if we were busy, they were laid off. Sure. Um, and so, that also taught me that you know sales is so interconnected to the organization that as much as we're individual contributors, you have to want to also be a company contributor, um, or you're not going to be sticky. You're not going to grow in the organization. You're going to be fighting for you, but you won't really have that that company commitment. That's really important. Was your your tenure as as an individual salesperson the six years you talked about? Was that under the same company, or was it yeah. a couple different? So one company, six years. So that, that's a long stretch, right? I mean, so they give you your shot and, and you turn the corner, you figure it out. And to your point, as you mentioned, that you are conscious of the fact that percentage-wise, you're responsible for a large percentage of their business. That it, All of a sudden, if that went away, that'd be a massive hit on the company from a percentage standpoint. So the decision to move on, um, was it yours? Uh, was it someone come calling? How did you get into leadership? 
So I actually stayed at the same company and went into sales leadership there first. You did, okay. Um, And so ran the team there and then had the opportunity to move to a larger organization where I had a larger footprint, more global opportunities um, and took that within the same industry. Um, And then I, you know, I got to a point where I had, trade shows is a very narrow band, right? It's very, very small. And I got to a point where I wanted to have a little bit of a different impact. And so I moved into the meetings and events space. So very tangential to what I was doing, had an opportunity to move into sales leadership in that space um, and really start to build out a team focusing on large events, national sales meetings. And that's where I spent um, the next couple of years of my career doing that. Um, And it was a really interesting opportunity because there was areas that overlapped and there were areas that were huge new learning. And that's what I wanted was to continue to learn and grow and try some new things. You know, I I was a sales manager for a short time after being a salesperson at Xerox. And I I was a highly ineffective sales manager if I'm being think about my time there, but because it's two totally different skill sets. I mean, you, yep. you can be, you can be an amazing salesperson and a terrible leader. You can be the best manager and leader in the world and an average rep, right? Just totally different skill sets. So did you enjoy uh, leadership? Did, did you gravitate to it pretty quickly or was it a bit of an adjustment for you? I, um, I had a lot of fear when I was going into sales leadership that I would miss the, the thrill of the hunt. Like I love pitching. I love closing business. I was really worried I was going to miss that. And what happened very quickly was that not only did I not miss it, I got more of a thrill when the people I was working with got their thrill of the hunt. When Kevin closed a piece of business, when Julie had a great sales call, I was really excited because to that point of how much impact I had on the organization, when you're running the sales work, now you have the biggest impact. I knew that when Kevin closed that deal and when Julia had that great sales call that was going to lead to a deal, that our organization was going to grow and thrive. And so I was able to really take that mindset and grow it into the company mindset. And I think once you do that, you go from an individual contributor to a leader. It's really hard to go back because ultimately you start looking at the whole organization. And it's really the long-term what led me into enablement is that as much as I loved sales leadership, I really felt like there's this big gap between what we expect our reps to do and and what they know and what they actually know and actually can do. There's a real gap there. And part of it's velocity and part of it's turnover of salespeople and part of it's incomplete training over the years. And I really saw that gap. And that's where I took the opportunity to go out as a consultant kind of get out of my bubble because I had spent most of my career in trade shows and events and say, I want to work with different types of companies. And I really want to fix this disconnect between sales and and training. And that's really where enablement kind of grew for me. And at the time I was consulting, the enablement space was really heating up. I mean, it wasn't something that most companies had. It wasn't something that, you know, a lot of companies were doing well. And there was a lot of discussion like, well, what is sales enablement? Is it just training? Is it training on steroids? And so as a consultant, because I worked with a lot of different uh, companies, startups to to big companies, I was able to kind of help figure out, okay, we're in enablement. Where can I have the most impact? And so when you decided to get into the, the, the enablement game from a consulting standpoint, when was this? What timeline? Was it early 2000s? Sorry, late 2000s, early teens? Yeah, but yeah, about six, seven years ago. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So call it 2015, give or take. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So 2015, you, you decide to, you know, give that a go. That's a whole other skill set as well. But you're you're also doing it on your own. And so was that a challenge for you mentally to 
let go of, a, I guess, of a company branch and just uh, let, let's give this a shot? It was, but it, it was funny because it was kind of um, incremental. Like I said, oh, I'm going to do this for a couple months. I, you know, I had somebody a contact who reached out and said, can you fill this gap for us? And I said, sure, I can do this. And it was yeah. a six month assignment. And then it grew into a longer assignment. And then I was referred into another. And all of a sudden I turned around, and it was three years. Um, so, right. you know, and you just, you never intend for it to be three years. And at the end of that time, I still loved, I still loved what I was doing. I loved the impact I was having, but I got to the point, I really felt like I missed the long-term influence and I, it became very specific. I was working with a company and really trans helping transform their business from really transactional to much more consultative and building out an SDR org and building out an, um, a CSM org. And then, you know, I, I did this for like eight months with them and then my assignment was done and I had to leave. And I mm. thought, Paul, I don't want to leave. I want to yeah. stay. <laughs> um, and it really made me realize that, that, as much as I appreciated the work I was doing as a consultant, I knew I needed to be able to see and stay and see it through. And so um, had the opportunity to join SpotMe in the SaaS space here in Chicago, working on meeting and event apps, which is an awesome company, great opportunity, great work, and only ended because COVID kind of killed the events. And they're still working. SpotMe's doing great work in the virtual space, but ultimately it was a good time for me to um, you know, take a role in an organization like PandaDoc that was growing really fast and has a, a really large enablement need um, and, and much more, um, much deeper influence that I can have with the organization. So it's been really exciting just the last, you know, two months for me to come on board with PandaDoc and see the possibility. And, you know, to my point earlier, I've learned a lot already. It's a very different type of organization, very, very fast moving, very high velocity. Um, but I think that need for enablement is there in even a deeper way. You know, when you joined SpotMe, you said, if I heard you correctly, you said you were there for about three years, give or take. And so that, so that takes me to end of last year. And it sounds like your your departure from them wasn't really your decision wasn't theirs. It was more of the state of the world here. And so from from listening to what you were talking about in terms of your your career thus far, it sounds like, unless I missed it, probably the first gap in your career. Um, yeah, it was. Um, and it was actually even a little bit longer because I was put on furlough. Like when, when COVID hit, my whole department constricted from 50 people globally to like five. And they, wow, put, yeah. They, yeah, they put like almost all of us on furlough and just said, we'll bring like you back. Like in the summer season. of last year? It was like right, well, almost May. exactly a year ago. Yeah, wow. it was right around like, this time last year. Like, like right when it came out, right, right when it happened, they put everybody in front. It didn't even, wasn't even the second quarter. It was like right away. Exactly. In wow, my team, okay. because my team sure. at the time was professional services. So we were in charge of delivery, product delivery, and there was no product to deliver because there were no events. And the shift to virtual for everybody took a couple of months. You know, it was when, when COVID hit, clients of ours said, we'll just take our meeting that's in March and move it to October. And it wasn't really until June, July that it became obvious, like, it's not going to be October. Right. It's not going to be November. It was really like um, kind of middle of last year when Intel and Facebook said, we've suspended all of our events till June of 2021, that the whole industry kind of went, oof, if you know the big guys are doing this, we're probably going to end up following suit. And so that was kind of the, the writing on the wall for companies like SpotMe that we're not going to get back to business as usual anytime soon. And again, they're still delivering a great virtual product, but they need as much smaller staff to do that. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I took it as an opportunity to take a step back, took a little time off, did some volunteer work, 
and uh, you know, spent a good amount of time really looking at different companies and opportunities in order to find the one that was really the right fit for me. And so as much as it was a weird, it's kind of a weird break because it's not like, it's not like I could go anywhere and do anything. It's not like, totally, oh, right? I, I'm on a break from work. I'll go on vacation. It's like, you can't go anywhere. But it, it was good for me because it, it led me to a lot of soul searching on what exactly do you want? I want a company that's in SaaS. I want a company that's global. I want a company that's pre-unicorn stage. I want a company that really values enablement. And I want a company where I can have an impact. And when I interviewed for the job, the first interview with PandaDoc, the sales leader that interviewed me, the first thing he said is, we've really underinvested in enablement as an organization. And we know there's a gap. And I thought that's the light bulb for me because knowing that leadership supports the ideas of what enablement is here to do is the first most important thing because we have to have buy-in from leadership. And then understanding that there is a, is a, a need and it's a great need and being able for me as a leader to come in and you know, look at the whole chessboard and understand how each department is functioning and where we can add efficiency and how we can add training. And I mean, we've onboarded just this calendar year, 18 people already and in sales in different groups and in four continents and in multiple languages. And that's not slowing down. So, right. you know, just that opportunity made it so exciting for me to come on board. You know, when you were, were when you were furloughed, call it 12 months ago, and then you found uh, you know, PandaDoc at the beginning of this year. In that time frame, at what point, Gail, did you start to seriously look versus hanging on to the spot me branch a little bit mentally? It was probably um, August, yeah. where August was where I was like, all right, I dusted off the resume. I worked with the, the resume coach to get it up to speed. I started like going back into networking events and connecting with people again because. I, I really had, I'd taken some time and just downtime and disconnected. I didn't read LinkedIn for whole days. It was weird. Whole days without LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> it was, was probably August, September where I was like, all right, Gail, you got to get, get buckled down. And, and like I said, you know, take the opportunity to look outside of the bubble of, of events and trade shows and really say, see where I could find a company that offered me some really neat, interesting opportunities. You know, Gil, you've had quite the ride. You start with a mindset of, I'm never getting into sales because of, of your, your dad's background. You don't want to be a teacher, so you don't do that. You have a vision for the arts. You want to get into you know, uh, that design and that type of industry. You realize, I love the work, but I don't want to work there. And then you, you get into fall backwards into sales like most of us did. And against every fiber of your being like, okay, fine, I'll be a salesperson. And then here it is, you know, 20 years later almost, and you're... You convert that into salesperson, sales leader, sales training, sales enablement, and uh, quite the ride you've had here. So I, I thank so much for sharing your story. I've had a lot of fun listening to you. Thank you. you know, I always like to ask anybody who's a guest on the podcast, if there was one piece of advice or feedback or something that maybe has served you well, what's been your foundation? What's kind of been your rock? Um, you know, I think it actually, my rock actually does go back to my my mother as a teacher because what I learned from her as a teacher is, is not about the lessons that she taught her kids, but that teaching is, is about empowering people to be comfortable and confident with the skills they probably already have. And that's what we do in enablement. So my goal in enablement is to empower people with their skills so they have confidence, they can excel at their work, they can build their personal revenue, they build their careers, they, they're better parents to their kids, they're better parts of the community because they feel empowered. 
Um, and, you know, when I'm working with salespeople, one of the biggest gaps, a lot of times is just the idea of imposter syndrome and I can't yeah. do this or what's going to happen if, and, you know, I, I have so much empathy for that because I went through it as a reluctant salesperson, you know, as the person who cried the first time I had to make a cold call and the second time and the third time and the fourth time until I finally was like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to hang up on you. And then you realize, yep, it's not that bad. And then you right. build on it. Right. So that, that idea of empowering people has become really a touchstone for my life. And I think for, for young team members, we were talking about one of your younger team members at the top of the call to find great mentors, to feel, you know, be it, make it okay to ask for help, to ask for mentoring. Um, I had some really good mentors in my life and it just built my confidence and empowered me to be willing to take some really scary dives to say, I'm going to go out on my own and be a consultant. And I'm going to go into SAS when I, you know, didn't grow up in the SAS world. Like you have to, yeah. you have to be able to be willing to be that scared and vulnerable. Gail, thanks so much for uh, being here. Gail, be in. There that's you go. My, you got my it. Poor attempt at comedy, I guess. So, so <laughs> thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks again. Thank you. I really appreciate talking today. You're very welcome. All right, everybody, let's wrap this episode up right now. Remember, your intention matters. Why? Because that's the result you'll tend to get. We're out of here. We'll do it again next week. Stay safe and let's go Leafs.